Okay, so hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Fall Global. This is where we connect with global first entrepreneurs from all around the world to share their experiences. Our guest today is Bob Reed, uh, founder and CEO at Everest. Uh, Bob, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Bob, before we start, could you please briefly introduce yourself? Sure. So, uh, CEO, co-founder of Everest. Uh, before Everest, uh, I did two things relevant in crypto and blockchain. Uh, one was uh, an accelerator out of uh, Singapore, which uh, I was lucky enough to have a bunch of the Ethereum Foundation folks there uh, that came along. And prior to that, uh, I was general manager at BitTorrent, uh, you know, back in 2013-14, you know, trying to talk you know, Silicon Valley venture capitalists into doing tokenized storage and tokenized if-then statements, and they thought we were insane. So most of us left BitTorrent uh, about then, and Consensus and Everest and Bram even did Chia, right? Um, okay, and and in your role as the CEO of Everest, right, you've built a platform that offers a wide range of financial services, including crypto trading, I suppose, and digital identity verification, right? So can you tell us a bit more about your, your company and w what is your main focus right now in terms of the, the product? Sure. So as you mentioned, we, we started with the premise of things like e-Estonia or Adahar plus India stack, which are digital nation states, uh, needed to be decentralized where users actually had control. Now, in both those uh, examples, identity is at the base of the stack, right? And identity is not credential sharing. It's literally, are you human and unique? Are you this, out of the 8 billion people, are you really this one thing? And on top of that, we built an entire stack to do uh, literally everything. So uh, we go from digital human and unique identity all the way up to wallet and then connect all of that to a global financial platform. Um, we were one of the 10 licensed in Malta for the VFA. And that means we get grandfathered into Mika, right? So uh, it means we're a qualified custodian that has a full network of crypto and fiat. Uh, yeah. And maybe can you, um, can you share some real-world examples of, or maybe use cases where Everest's platform has had this uh, transformative impact on maybe communities or institutions? Can you sure. talk more about it? So I'll share with you one we did in the past, and then I'll share with you one um, we're doing now. So uh, one of the more interesting projects we did historically is the government of the Indonesia and BRI Bank, their biggest bank in Indonesia, asked us to help distribute uh, subsidies, that is programmable money to users out in the villages. And historically, they had this like, here's a little gray card you could hand out to somebody and they were like coupons you could redeem for gas tanks to go home and cook with. It's like seven some billion dollars going out to 50 million people, something like that. And you can imagine little cards running around the islands like it was just, you know, rife with corruption. So what we did is you can imagine and think about the stack we built. Users have their human unique. Just get one picture of a selfie 
and they have a wallet attached to basically their face up in the cloud, distributed storage that only they can access. And so what we did with uh, BRI is we said, okay, we're going to deliver programmable tokens to people's wallets who are attached in the uh, attach their face in the villages. And that meant once a month, users literally shirt on their back would walk up to BRI bank agents. would be one guy in the village. You'd go like scan the face, put in your pin, and then they would redeem essentially out of the user's wallet to the bank agent. And they'd walk home with a, uh, with a gas tank. And at the end of the day, the agent would take their, you know, they had to have one phone, right? They would settle over our chain, all of the programmable vouchers we had delivered, and then they, we would pay them in their commission in fiat. And what everyone found is, gosh, we knew in real time, biometrically verified, cryptographically signed transactions, 7.33 in the morning, IU got this amount and walked away from it. Nobody else got it. It was her, right? And all this, you know, the agents would sometimes show up with like a little clipboard. They'd be like, oh, I did this many transactions. would be like, nope, we had it, right? And so it was incredibly efficient. It reached everybody. It was really, uh, I would call the first delivery of programmable money uh, out in the world. Now, the same stack were we've repurposed to actually give users sovereignty over their social networks too. So we're all watching Twitter try to get verified identities like bots are coming, right? And Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn, and it's going to hit Reddit and every other large platform because uh, AI, AI deep fakes, everything like this is a real problem. Um, so what we did is we literally said, okay, we, users should still be able to own their identity, right? They should be able to prove they are who they say they are, that they're not a bot also. Do it very privately, anonymously. And then from there, be able to exchange value. Right? So uh, if you want, I can show you what it looks like. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So... So here you can see we're literally going to be paying people to get verified wallets, right? It'll prove that they have a, an identity and a wallet between any social network. They get rewards. They get to prove they're not a bot and they get access to crypto and fiat financial services, right? And you'll see here's some of the promotion where we're giving away about 10 million ID tokens depending on how many people sign up and they get 10% commissions on anything the user does. So if I sign up a hundred people, the fees of those hundred people doing buy, trade, sell, send, receive, remittances, whatever, uh, I get commissions on that too. 
And again, just to jump down to the bottom, all of this infrastructure is really run by something called the foundation, right? Uh, that is, uh, no one can see the user's identity, not even Everest, not me, not the foundation, nobody, right? So we, we donated the, the infrastructure so that literally only the user would have access and that's it. So look, this is what it looks like if you do want to sign up. Ah, I'm already signed in. So here you can see I've got my Ever Wallet. I can tweet about it. I have my affiliate link. I have my wallets, right? And what you'll see from us coming, you know, going forward is I'm going to be able to attach, for example, my Twitter account that I've already associated might go to this wallet. And when we add Instagram, it might go to my other wallet. And you'll have different personas and different credentials and claims attached to different wallets. Right? So to come full circle, here's my affiliate link. If you jump over here, here you can see if anyone were to click on my link, it would be here's human, right? Not a bot, not an imposter, and associated with this account. And then anyone who signs up gets really uh, to go do the same thing, and I get some of the commissions on that. Okay, that's that's a fantastic example. Thank you. Thanks a lot for showing it. Uh, okay, so. Um, Couple, couple other things that I would like to discuss with you today. I know that um, Everest is a global first company, right? So, and I would like to talk a bit more about uh, building and managing distributed team. So, as someone who has this successfully navigated this approach, what are some key factors to consider when building and managing a, a globally distributed team? Um, can you talk more about it? Sure. Um... So what we've discovered over the last few years and some of what you read about, some of what I'd say I think we all know, but then to actually put some of these ideas into practices, you need people that care, right? After, secondarily, skills and acumen, right? But caring is uh, really the first and foremost, right? So, and to get people to care because these things are hard to build right um you have to give them the most interesting projects and you have to give them the vision they have to know that like hey if this is successful I mean, what i just showed you for example mark andreessen was on a podcast last week saying anyone who can solve no bots proof of humanity in a blockchain way where the user owns the identity that's a trillion dollar market Right. And the team has to understand that. They have to feel it. And that, right, that gets you the extra hour, gets you the extra bug fix. It gets you the extra. You can tell when people care, right? The products reflect that. Uh, the second piece, just tactically, is uh, over communication, right? So we have Slack, we have ClickUp, we have, and we are on Zoom nonstop. 
right? Uh, you know, there, there has to be a culture of don't suffer in silence and talk more rather than less. If not, people go into like, you have, you know, two remote devs somewhere. And if they're not talking to the rest of the team, they'll go down rabbit holes and it'll cost you a week or two. So um, those are you know, the, the two that uh, immediately jumped to mind. Mm -hmm. And um, if we just go to a more, I guess, practical level, what was your strategy for hiring local markets outside of the US? What were criteria for choosing a country to hire from? Um, can you, can you, yeah, share some ideas sure. behind that? So here's an interesting little nugget I found. Uh, tell me if you agree with this. The best blockchain devs in the world probably are in probably Taiwan, Israel, and then somewhere between Ukraine and Georgia, right? And the phenomena we keep, you know, one of the three things, the one thing that those three places have in common, they have a big nasty neighbor who literally is trying to hack all their stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's right? true. Like, right? <laughs> that's true. So, I, agree with that. I mean, I'll give you a sense. Like, you know, if you build the, you know, you're just a normal dev and you build like a dating app. It has to be like 97% okay. You can have some bugs. It's okay. Not the Ukrainians, not the Georgians, not the Israelis. What they build, they build and they do it with a philosophy of like, if I'm wrong, people might die. And I just like, you need that in, in blockchain. You're moving millions and millions of dollars. Like, and so the, the approach, the level of care, the skill like is one of my devs put it to me is like I did point of sale at the grocery store literally the Russians would go in and try to hack that so that there would be lines around the block right so, so you're thinking like that's ah, you know it's a grocery store it's no big deal like yeah and so uh I heavily favor those three regions because we've learned that really the devs are careful right they and they're good right they, they, they've had to build robust systems for edge cases and hacks Yeah, that's that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, okay, but just maybe, what 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 was the maybe the biggest obstacle for you in starting to hire globally? Was it a cultural aspect or employment compliance issues that you might face, or something else? Actually, discovery. That is, uh, I'll give you sort of a metaphor. Um, finding the right people is literally half my job, right? And finding them is hard. Still recording or it says recording error? Keep going? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so for example, there's a billion plus people in India. Mm -hmm. There are some fantastic devs there. Finding the however many good ones, you sometimes have to go through a thousand bad ones in India. Mm -hmm. There's just too many of them. And yeah. so having, if you will, someone like, honestly, like you guys, um, 
sift through that filter and find the right guys with the right fit with the right skill set that's actually um the hardest part i think after that it's it's up to us got it got it okay cool um and with with this current economic downturn i would say uh, that that we all face um uh, do you believe that being a globally recognized company and having this international team can generally assist companies in maybe let's say overcoming this market challenges? If so, how exactly can it be beneficial? Sure. So we'll give you a real example. Um, we have a bank we're working with that basically plugged in our platform to do onboard KYC compliance and send and receive money right? They're actually in Southeast Asia, right? As I put it, take a legacy bank, plug in Everest and you get Revolut, right? And so I bounce between Malta and California. Uh, the team is distributed, as you mentioned, uh, supporting a customer like that. Well, we now, it's almost like the British empire. The sun never sets on Everest. It's, And so we can develop, send to them. They give feedback. Some people are asleep. Other people are awake. They can bug fix. And so I don't really view it as a obstacle to overcome. It's really a feature benefit that's actually helping us. Got it. Okay. Okay. In um, probably for, for potential talent who are listening to us right now, and we have like a community of maybe 15K vetted tech talent at this point in Latam and in Europe. So for, for those guys, what would you say are the top reasons maybe for them to consider joining, for example, Everest, right? Your company. Everest was explained to me by an investor once as what Google calls a moonshot. If you take the idea of identity, here's Adahar in India with a billion biometrics right? And they abuse it horribly as a centralized entity. You just say, here's a decentralized, distributed, user-owned identity. And if we're right, the world isn't the same afterwards. Okay? If we're wrong, we built a really, really cool neobank, right? That's, here's your virtual IBAN, your crypto exchange, your Western Union remittance, And it sits in between Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and TikTok. It's also a pretty good place to be. If, again, if we're right, it's, it's bigger than anything that's ever been done. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay. And maybe let's, let's talk about this future, right? So uh, with, with this increasing regulations and... Um, In, in, in the blockchain and crypto industry, how do you see the future of blockchain identity evolving, right? Are there any specific, specific trends or developments that uh, will, will shape this landscape of identity, verification in the coming years, or maybe this blockchain and cryptocurrency market overall? Can you, can you talk more about it? Sure. So one of my duties and roles at Everest is I spend a lot of time with the regulators. Like I said, we're one of the few licensed. We're getting grandfathered into Mika. 
Um, I think we're batting about 900. It's a baseball metaphor for you. Uh, on guessing and understanding what regulation and identity and compliance requirements are coming. And so Mika, actually even Mika 2.0 that they've published what they're going to ask for, what the Americans have said, what the Singaporeans and what the Japanese have all said, there will be basic compliance done for crypto and the core of compliance is identity. You will be identified slowly, gradually, depending on scaling up, depending on the level of the transaction you're doing, just like traditional finance. And the idea of anonymous transactions is really a 2019 idea. Like that's just going to die. It's going to get pushed to the margins, etc. Now, the good part about blockchain and even what Everest is building is you get to selectively share. You get to go like, I'm going to do a cross-border transaction for $4,000. Legally, I'm required to give this much information. You don't get everything. And so we'll go ahead and do, for example, just collect that info. Or for example, decentralized exchanges are about to fall under, use existing laws and actually uh, make them comply. But the Europeans, uh, definitely the Americans are coming second, are going to insist that they comply and do some level of identity verification. So in that case, Everest can sit out there as that licensed custodian that can check an identity and send a zero knowledge proof to Uniswap or SushiSwap and say, this wallet address, we will verify. And when the regulator calls and says, John Smith is on the terrorist list or you know, make sure he doesn't do anything bad. We take that burden on and Uniswap, SushiSwap, et cetera, QuickSwap, they don't have to deal with that, right? And they keep their, what I call their social contract with their users if they don't, uh, they don't hold any identity, so. That's awesome. Um, okay, okay, so I guess, I guess we're good. Um, Thanks a lot, Bob, for sharing your insights on this business expansion, on building and managing distributed teams, on this future of blockchain, future of identity. So, yeah, we wish you and Everest all the best in your journey. Thanks a lot for, for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. You have a good day.